0: Study your notes some more. Yeah. Claire, on this one, no, you can almost go straight from the dome. Some of this is What was that? Strange. Like, this is a topic that you can go straight from the dome. Like, you know that nothing that they're suggesting sounds right. I'm just a st- stuck on straight from the dome. <laughs> you know i bring a little I, bit of that in every I, time
1: I I call. need a, uh, this handbook <laughs> of uh, Jamel
0: Don't worry. Just keep hanging out with her. <laughs> <him. laughs>
1: Or is it Jamil-y's? That's how it'd be. jameel You're going to get it. I want that book so i learn all your slang. That's right. Straight from
0: the dome. Game
1: recognized game. Dang blang.
0: I wish we could have trademarked that one, but that's not ours, so we can't. What do you mean? Game recognized game.
1: Oh, I thought you wanted to trademark dang blang. I think you could. I could do dang blang. <laughs> because that's what would go on the shirts. Welcome to episode 20 of Black, White, and Blue in the South, a podcast discussing democratic politics with a Southern flair. I'm Bill Kimmler. I'm Jamil Brooks.
2: I'm Sally Willette.
1: Ooh, we have a third voice in the mix today. <laughs> and we are coming to you from Greenwood, South Carolina, a little red county in a very red state. If you like what you hear in this episode, and we guarantee you will, yep. please leave a rating. Tell your friends about us, follow us on social media, or better yet, contribute $5 to the Sowers and Reapers Fund, who are mounting a defense for poor old conservative pundit Bill (laughs) O'Reilly, who supported a Florida book band and found his books caught up in the very bands he promoted. Ya reap what ya sow. Did you hear that in the, in the news? No. You haven't heard that? Oh, no. the,
2: oh how the turntables, yeah. as yeah. they say in the office. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, Bill O'Reilly had two books, Killing Jesus and Killing Reagan. I've not read either of those, but there's some sort of history books from his point of view. He's got this whole series of killing and then whatever the subject is, Killing Lincoln. Now he's got Killing Reagan, Killing Jesus, and for some reason... Those books have been removed from Florida schools, and he is mad. Oh, don't get mad now. <laughs> you can always drop us a note at, at com. Send us your comments, questions, topic ideas. You can also follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and even threads. But please do leave a review, even if it's just to let us know you're listening. We have a Linktree page that can connect you to everything, so look at those show notes where we'll have that, and links to all material mentioned in today's episode. So, Jamil, I have a confession to make. Oh, goodness. This is the one episode where I have to say I'm probably as unprepared on a topic as I've ever been. Wow. As you know, we've this is our 20th episode and I come with notes. Yeah. 10 15 pages of typed notes ready to be the expert on any subject we plan to cover. Yeah. But as I started this, I am so out of my depth on this one special topic that's going to take up the entire episode in fact not just this episode. This is going to be a two-parter. Yeah. And it has so many different angles. Yes, it does. It's got spiritual angles. It's got medical angles. It's got family angles. It's got societal angles. And listen, I could spend an entire lifetime studying those angles and never scratch the surface of the topic. Plus... We actually have those who are experts in all of those angles, and we're going to hear from them today. Yeah. And in fact, this is a great chance to introduce our guest who drove across the country to meet with us today. <laughs> oh, gosh, the country. Am I right? <laughs> Close. This is a
2: little, oh, I'm sorry, little I meant, less than that. I
1: meant drove through the country. Mm-hmm. I drove through the country. <laughs> through the country. Mm-hmm. So please introduce yourself and where you come from.
2: Hi I'm Sally Ouellette and I come from Pendleton South Carolina. Yay.
1: So, Oh we know Pendleton. Mm-hmm. We How do? do we know Pendleton?
2: Because I teach there.
1: Ooh. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. Yeah. We are all connected somehow. We are. And you actually have a Greenwood connection don't you?
2: I do. I used to coach college volleyball at Lander University, so no, I had a little, <laughs> when had was a little that? health. Um, I think it was just for one season. It was a 2022, I mean, twenty two thousand and two season. Oh, wow, 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 that was a long time ago. Wow. So.
1: No, Jameel, you were just a freshman at Lander at that time, weren't you? I don't think so. No, no. Come on, you can go with it. You can lie. I'm, I'm, I set you up, and you failed to no, spike. I know they'll check the I'm, dates. I'm, I'm going to speak volleyball terms. <laughs> <laughs> you you failed to deliver on a perfect set. They'll check the dates. Yeah, mm. no. That's cool. All right. So you spent, was it just one year then at Ed- yes. in Greenwood? Yeah,
2: I think it was then I realized I needed a, a change, a career change mm-hmm. um, and uh, just wanted to go back to grad school. So I left Lander probably within a within a year. And yeah, I mean, it was it was tough, but I think I'm definitely in where I need to be mm. as far as I, once you start recruiting and realizing that it's a lot like dating. Mm.
0: Oh, that's a good comparison.
2: <laughs> it's very much. Yeah. And all the players start to look the same. And I have AD, I didn't realize at that point, but I had ADD and I was like, I'm just having a really hard <laughs> time <laughs>
1: So you coached volleyball, which tells me, and, yes. and let me know if I'm incorrectly inferring, you must have played at some point. I
2: did. I played at Furman. Oh, oh that's mm-hmm. cool. Would
1: you have uh, read it yourself as a pretty good player?
2: Um, I would say versatile okay. was probably the best description of me as a volleyball. I don't understand
1: description. What versatile um, Well, I
2: mean, you know, I could do pretty much anything they needed me to do. I could put in, uh, except for middle, because I'm a little bit short. I'm 5'8", for, and for volleyball players, that's... Not very tall, so oh, wow. they could put me in the front row, back row, setter even. And uh, I played a lot of outdoor, so so I was very athletic as well. So. Do you think
1: you could pick up the ball again and jump right in?
2: Um, Like, with skill-wise, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> My body
1: <laughs> would spirit, be telling me very the differently. The spirit's out there having <laughs> the a ball. The spirit is The body, there. though, is suffering. Yeah. I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. We can relate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we totally can. <laughs> Well, we didn't come here to do a volleyball episode, (laughs) as interesting as that is, Uh, but we came here to talk about a a hearing that was held in the South Carolina State House just this past Tuesday, and then a debate on Wednesday. The legislation just started up for this term, all right? So they kicked off in January. And of all the problems and all the issues facing our state, the number one priority they had was to address what they call the the problem of transgender children and gender affirming care. And we brought Sally um, here because you were one of those who testified at this hearing and you have a very personal story to tell. So maybe you just start to lightly introduce that and kind of tell us your story and about your family
2: yeah um well when uh my child was about 12 years old they came out and i used the pronouns they them because they decided they are didn't decide but basically decided to tell me Mm -hmm. that they are non-binary and it was something where as a i have worked as a school counselor and i know we'll get to that i had worked with trans or learned about trans issues and i had a transgender mentor but i always did know that something was up with my kid you know when they started choosing their own clothes it was like t-shirt you know very monotone very much you know not wanting to be any kind of genderized you know type thing so when they came out it was not a surprise but it was more just okay so what does that mean (laughs) well let me first
1: observe how mm -hmm. lucky emma was yeah that they had you as a parent Mm -hmm. to feel comfortable coming out to. Mm -hmm. That's not a luxury many children have.
2: No, it's not. And that's something that I feel like I'm lucky that Emma felt comfortable enough to tell me. And there were a lot of things that I didn't understand about it. So I did lean on Emma to tell me a little bit more, to send me some articles, to give me more information. And then they, there are some support groups out there. So I was able to get hooked up with some of them and just kind of look at, you know, what does this mean? What does this mean with how we talk to Emma about, about things? How do we make sure that we're giving them the support that they need? And it also was very scary because I also knew the... um,
1: Scary for you?
2: Scary for me in that I had already seen the sports bill come out. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: This is what they called the Save Women's Sports Act, which has not saved a single sport from a single person. And I
2: did testify against that. um, And that was before Emma came out. I testified against it because I knew that it didn't really mean anything. And I, we can go into that as well. But I, I was like, okay, so so my child's non-binary. So we're now, is does that mean they're under the transgender umbrella? Well, my child is, is named Emma, which is a feminine name. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't want to change it. Looks just very androgynous. Sometimes, you know, maybe like, boyish and so emma does answer to he she they and it took about three months for me to take the they them from the conscious to the unconscious so Mm. this is what i try to tell people is i use they them But don't feel like you know if you mess up don't worry about it (laughs) because it's
0: very
1: conscious right now it it is a struggle i still can't pronounce Jamil's name right and we've only known each other for over a year yeah so it it is it's going to take a long time
2: for about two or three months i would stop whenever i had to use a pronoun I would literally, my brain would just like short circuit. And I would think, is that, is that she, he, they, you know, so, yeah. so I know how hard it is. And that's something I've never tried to make a big deal about. I do think, in, and Emma definitely doesn't, Emma just doesn't even want to worry about it. Just, just, But I do end up telling especially adults that will be working with Emma that this is what Emma prefers. A friend of mine did say that this was a great way to say it was, I go by they, them, but I answer to he, she, they, as long as you're working towards, Understood. you know, they, them. So, yeah.
1: so you've had practice then in terms of testifying and being a, an advocate for your child and others like your child. I was going to kick off by describing what this bill is that, that we are defending against and what has gotten fast-tracked. Uh, if I may, I'd like just to play a clip where okay. they read the, the, the key summary of what this bill entails. So I'll let them talk about whatever this House bill is about. Our next bill is House Bill 4624, Gender Reassignment Procedures. Uh, Staff, if you would uh, please uh, give a brief summary of the bill. This is a bill to amend the South Carolina Code of Laws by adding Chapter 42 to Title 44. As to define gender, sex, and other terms, to prohibit the provision of gender transition procedures to a person under 18 years of age, to provide exceptions, to prohibit the use of public funds for gender transition procedures, and to provide penalties, and by adding section 59-32-36 so as to prohibit public school staff and officials from withholding knowledge of a minor's perception of their gender from the minor's parents, among other things. So let's recap just at a high level and in plain speak. Um, what what were the key elements of this bill? I heard one was just banning of the Pub, yeah. making it illegal to perform yeah, these types of medical procedures. The
0: prevention of using public funds. Public funds, and um, then
1: it was forced outing. Yeah, which it was, yeah you know, why that and and anything else the student may tell you in
0: confidence. And here's the thing with the people who sit behind that desk that take me there every week and keeps me sitting in front of this microphone. It is not a teacher's responsibility to identify in um, the term that they use it. I, I had to make sure I wrote down and highlighted it was a child who suffers from this is in the bill suffers from wow, I missed that word. gender dysmorphia. Who, who are you to tell that they are suffering? That's not the teacher's responsibility. And so you need to stop putting that responsibility on an educator. When we see children, we see children. And that's what you want. You want your child to walk into that room and to be, to be loved and to be cared for and to be educated for who they are as they present themselves. We are not taking tallies to run back and tell mom, dad, Sally, Sue, or whoever that's not our goal. And why would we, as an educator, start to create an atmosphere where the child feels like they have nowhere to go? It's really we,
1: turning that atmosphere into atmos-fear. It
0: is. I like that, Bill. Thank you. That's a shirt. Okay, great. That's Another, a shirt. We've got so
1: many shirts, slogans, That's a t-shirt. it's unfunny.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, I'll I'll point out a couple of other things about just even what he's saying. A lot of times when they talk about transition procedures, when you talk about transition procedures, a lot of people go right to surgery. Mm -hmm. Nobody under the age of 18, is having surgery in South Carolina. When it comes to gender transition, top surgery, bottom surgery, absolutely not. That's not happening. So, I mean, even they ha- it's in the bill that you can't but do that. that's the
1: first thing they come out and say is happening. Exactly. So even well, when corrected, they just still rally around the lie. Well, that's right. the
2: way
0: they need to present it, so that people who aren't aware and not trying to find out can side with them in this case.
2: Right. And then the other one is when, um, Jamil, when you talk about suffers from, they actually took out gender identity disorder in the last DSM, which is the Diagnostic Statistical Manuals, um, and that's a dsm four in the new DSM-5. It is not in there. Um, mm-hmm. It's just the same way with the gay population. They thought that homosexuality was a psychological disorder. Yes. It's not. Now, do people suffer from some dysphoria, dysmorphia, and those kind of issues, those are the things that do tend to need some medical and psychological assistance in that, in that area. But my child is happy. My child is not suffering from this.
1: From what I see, the only suffering that's happening is when they are bullied, when they're trying to fit in, when society or even lawmakers bully them. There's where the suffering
0: really is. is That's where it is. What I like that you said was your child is happy. Allow the parent to be the parent. You know your child better than any legislator, better than any teacher. And so who are we on the outside to come in and say, this is what you should be doing for your child? Where do we draw that line and stand firm in saying that there's a job that people in the House and the Senate need to do, but this ain't it?
1: Right. I am wanting to play a clip here that's probably the most triggering of them all, so this is a warning. Uh, It's McCravey, Representative John McCravey, who is a co-sponsor of this bill, and he shows up. He's not part of this subcommittee, but they invited him to speak on this bill's behalf, introduce it from his perspective. And I bring his up because his is really the only testimony given in favor of this bill. For the next three hours, it was family after doctor after uh, professional all opposing it, with the exception of one individual. But otherwise, it was all testimony against it. So I want to hear where he's coming from, what he thinks the problem is, and then we can deconstruct it and find where its merits and faults are. Are we ready for that?
0: I guess. Okay. (laughs) Do you need to excuse
1: yourself out of (laughs) the room because I almost do. Okay, here we go. This is Greenwood Representative John McCravey, who feels this is the most important thing he needs to be working on. For South Carolina. We have a uh, representative uh, John McCravey to
3: uh, review the bill with us. Thank you Mr. Chairman. You know there are a few things we do as legislators that are more important than protecting vulnerable children. One of those important legislative protections that has come to pass is to protect minors from so-called gender transition procedures. 22 states including every state surrounding South Carolina which includes North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, Alabama, Louisiana, and Kentucky, have already passed this proposed legislation. First, what this bill does, the first thing it does is protect minors from the use of hormone drugs known as puberty blockers. These drugs block the normal puberty hormones released by the body that cause normal development of a child's reproductive organs. Growing evidence shows that puberty blockers are not safe and result in irreversible physical, not to mention emotional damage. The FDA has warned that this carries a risk of a rare condition called pseudotumor cerebri that can cause swelling of the optic nerve, headache, vomiting, elevated blood pressure, paralysis. Uh, Also, because they prevent the natural development of reproductive organs, the endocrine society has warned that there's a lack of data on whether the use of these drugs may result in a greater incidence of infertility. Researchers in the UK are now concerned about the negative effects on the brain itself from these drugs. Uh, And numerous studies have already proved that puberty blockers seriously diminish bone density of children. The second thing this bill does is protect minors from the irreversible effects of cross-sex hormones. This is where a biological girl, for instance, may be given testosterone or a biological boy is given estrogen. Extended use of cross-sex hormones will sterilize a child for life. Uh, They damage the testes in males and the ovarian function in females. Three different studies show that cross-sex hormones carry an increased risk of stroke, blood clots, and other cardiovascular issues, and this damage is irreversible. The third thing this bill does is protect minors from radical and irreversible surgeries, and it's all tied together the the facts are that 98% of children who receive puberty blockers go on to get the cross sex hormones and then that 97% of those go on to have irreversible surgeries and the sad part is the fact is that when left alone 85 to 90 percent of young people with gender dysphoria return to identify with their biological sex by adulthood It's also a fact that approximately 60% regret their choice later when they go through with these procedures. You know, you might have seen this on 60 Minutes. Just go back and look at the 60 Minutes documentary they did on this a couple of years ago. The bill is medically sound. It's been reviewed by medical experts and contains extensive exceptions for any congenital abnormalities as well as certain developmental disorders and procedures needed, and and certainly any any procedures needed by injury that would place a person at risk for impairment or serious bodily function or death. Uh, Mr. Chairman, this summarizes the, the bill, and I'll be happy to answer any questions you may have.
2: What's okay, the hey, uh, second time well, I've had to hear this? <laughs> what I'm going to have to do here,
1: because I, I, I tell you, there are so many thoughts looking to escape our mouths at the same time. And we can literally maybe spend an hour tearing down what he said. And and we're not even the experts. At least I'm not an expert here. But I do have a question that I couldn't tell. I watched the three hours of testimony. When did McCravey leave? Did he stay and listen to all the testimony, or did he excuse himself?
2: I'm I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I do know that that quite a few on that left side. I think Thomas Beach was like the furthest to the left, and I believe McCravey was farther left than him as far as just where they were. Don't sitting. tell him that he was I know, far left. Exactly, it blows <laughs> blow his mind. So I I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I wasn't really keeping keeping track. I, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Jamil. Yeah, well, let you, me go You ahead. get let one me, thought. Let me, go for
0: it. I am going to promise you it's one thought, so you're going to have to stop me because <laughs> this right here really, really bothers me. Uh, and I'm going to start by saying that I feel that the state should not have the responsibility to tell people who they are, um, who they should love, and how they should live that love. I think when we start to do that, we are taking the role of these individuals from being— on the outside to the inside. And I think we have to draw that line. There was something
1: he said at the beginning that all of our pens started moving. What was the first thing you wrote down? I want to see if we all wrote down the same thing.
0: I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down was protect minors from.
1: Ah, I didn't have that. What what did you write, Sally?
2: Uh, I I was looking when when he was talking about why we should do it? It's like it's like all the other states are doing it. So why uh, shouldn't we be? Uh, why why shouldn't we have this ban? Yeah. you know they're they're pretty upset that South Carolina doesn't have this ban in place when I mean, all the other states. You know what do. the
1: other states had? What slavery? You know. So do we got to right. jump jump on boards because other I'm states saying. have I mean, done it? Why
2: I thought they South would love Carolina to. they lived. <laughs> I thought South Carolina was a, a trailblazer and not a follower. In their minds. They're not.
0: The
1: first thing I wrote down was the words so-called, because that right there just diminishes everything.
0: First of all, in, in a situation like that, I don't think that you should be able to say before people as you are trying to defend and support your stance that the research shows. Tell me where the research is showing uh, I'm going
1: to put a pause on that because another representative in our next clip brings up that point. Don't
0: play me with 60%. Who did you poll and where did you get that 60% from? I wrote here what he just said don't do it because if you do it he listed the whole back of every medication bottle that everybody <laughs> in South Carolina and the United States of America takes so where would they want how do they want that bill to be set up
1: so he said that the FDA it's called side effects the FDA warns of a rare condition that may be an outcome of this medicine but you know what else has rare conditions possibly aspirin everything right? does. everything
0: everything does and you see this is not a good tie-in, but you see the commercials that says if you've suffered from, and they laying, they will put out a medication that has gone through all the clinical drug trials. You've done everything that you were supposed to do. It's documented. The FDA has their portion of it, and you see that information.
1: If he's worried about the side effect of this medication, he should read what on the back of the Viagra bottle that he takes to blow his mind. It. The <laughs> well,
2: AMA supports it. Well, the American and the Medical other, Association and. And kids are giving given puberty blockers for a whole host of things, mm-hmm. precocious puberty, that apparently we don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a risk benefit to, to everything we do.
1: Let me play Representative J.A. Moore, who was the first to question McCravey okay. after he read his summary.
3: And then the 60% regret rate that you mentioned, what was the source of that? I believe there are several studies out there. I've reviewed a lot of them. The one that you were quoting. Well, I can't. I'll, I'll give it to you after this hearing. I'll be glad to go find it for so, you. So, so that 60% regretting quote. You don't have the source for that. I believe. I believe the 60 Minutes uh, program talked about that. I'm so, not your sure source if that is was 60 the minutes? study. Well, I'm not sure if that was the study I read, but I know that there was one, at least one or more. And, and they vary. You know, I'm not going to say that every one of them is 60%, but there's at least one or two that say 60%. But I'm just being, for, for clarification, you said it was a fact, and you but you don't have the source for that well, fact. Well, a fact that there are studies that show that. But you don't have those studies that,
4: that can, you said I a I told a fact.
3: you, I can get them to you after this hearing. I don't want to bring out a study in the middle of a hearing and try to find it and all that, but I'll be glad to get it to you.
0: Okay, thank you. Boy, what kind of
1: student was he in college?
0: I don't want to bring out a study and all of that in front of this hearing. All right,
2: I major in biology. Oh, and I'm just gonna say, you don't talk like that when it's when you're talking about studies. You You have that data with you.
1: Well, it's a fact that there were studies, right?
2: That's. (laughs) I, I mean, and that's the thing is is. As somebody who's been in the science field and and knows it, to see somebody who is not in the science field but but trying to take data and use it that way, oh, and how then, frustrating is it as a then scientist then to see these
1: non-scientists have, butcher?
2: Absolutely.
1: Yep. Last month, back in December, we had a local resident here in Greenwood named Oliver Goldsmith. Yes. And Oliver is just as amazing of an individual as you can. Uh, he is transgender, and he took some time to speak with us on stage about his journey and, and dispelling some of the some of the myths. And boy, he got a standing ovation afterwards. The first speaker we've ever had that got a standing ovation. But he directly addresses the so-called studies that Representative McCravey quoted. So I'm going to play a clip of what Oliver had to say on this. It's actually quite enlightening. Yeah.
5: Doing some research on this. John McCravey keeps citing this source. I I noticed when I, when I was tracking this, keeps citing this source that 80% of individuals that pursue transgender affirming or procedures, which makes it sound like surgeries, but really we're talking about hormones here, regret their decision as adults. That is a staggering statistic. That is because it is not true. The actual statistic is less than 1% and that is just a detransition statistic. Surely, surely, our community representative wouldn't just lie. So, I emailed John McCravey and I was like, hey, I'm I'm really interested, yeah, I'm a really interested party. I would really like to know Where the statistic is from if if you could please direct me in that area. That would be great Um, and she was credit he emailed me back and He directed me towards a study that was conducted in 1995. I Want us to think about that for a second what science could we think about that is the same now from 1995 in fact in 1995 our Diagnostic criteria for gender dysphoria wasn't even created yet. This was just based off of the old criteria, which is not the same. At Lander, we have when we when we write research papers, we have to cite studies that were conducted within the last ten or so years. You know, and for example, Doctor Walkup, if I cited a study from 1995, would you accept that? No, of course you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. And so why should we allow our state representatives to make such ill-defended claims that it would result in a failing grade for any local college student in his same district?
0: Boy, he has such a way with words. Let Mm -hmm. me just go ahead and say, I love Oliver. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Like, Oh my God, I love Oliver. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm sorry.
1: Such a natural, the way he constructed his argument, the way he flowed it, his personality, he just radiates somebody you want to be around and engage with. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So
1: anyhow, he brought up some very good points. How about you, um, Ms. Biology (laughs) scientist? Do you agree with what Oliver had to say?
2: Uh, Absolutely, yeah. Um, A lot of those studies were, you know, people who might have been questioning. So they did kind of bring in a lot of people since they didn't have gender dysphoria as even a a thing yet. It could have been just somebody who dressed a little bit differently, a woman who might have dressed a little bit more masculine, or a man who might have looked a little bit more feminine, you know, so... There are a lot of things that we don't know from these studies and huge amounts of limitations because of that. Yeah, I just, I love what, what Oliver said. I think it's it's great. And, you know, I do think that McCravy does talk about the HRT, the hormone replacement therapy and the puberty blockers. And one of the things that, that I will say for, for us, we do receive gender affirming care is that we are presented with all of these risks we are presented and there's absolutely no way that they would ever push any of that on us or on a kid every journey is different and in our journey we decided against some of the things because of the more permanent changes and we had long discussions and we do it with parents we do it with both mom and dad and with emma my child and with the doctors and I remember the first time we went in there, I was like, oh, this is really real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is, mm-hmm. You know, they do not sugarcoat it. They don't say, this is great, and you're going to be uh, so happy and amazing. They say, this, this is your journey, and we're here to help, and we're here to be supportive. But you do need to be aware of, of these things, and what they do is a stepped approach. They say, we start with the most reversible things. And then if it's needed, then we start with possibly something that might be a little bit more, a little bit less. You mean reversal. they don't jump
1: right out of the gate with a knife?
2: No, they no. don't. Because <laughs> that's how they portray it. Right. Right.
1: That you mentioned, you know what, hey, I like pink shirts now, yeah. you know, we're gonna come after you with a knife and ir- yeah. irreversibly change you. That's the story that they portrayed. It is the story best. that they You mentioned very briefly sixty minutes. What was that sixty minutes thing that represented? I don't Gravey I don't exactly
2: know I, because he says it was years ago and I haven't looked at that, but I just thought it was interesting that he kept saying it over and over again like i have to wonder 60 minutes episode and from what i know from what some of the doctors that were there said the 60 minutes episode actually did not say what he was saying it said however i'm just gonna plead a little bit ignorance there and and know that i
1: don't know that i have to imagine it was an old andy rooney clip that he watched (laughs) and and completely misunderstood jameel Nothing, okay. Uh,
4: so the Nothing next, that you can record.
1: The next two <laughs> clips are doctors. All right, so these are our pediatricians that are going to talk about some of the facts. You heard uh, Dr. McCravey speak from his uh, ad- extensive medical background. Uh, Bill, now, n- now Bill, we're going to hear from some other doctors.
0: Bill, don't click play until you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I said it sarcastically. Thank you. That's okay, an insult thank you to know. our clinicians.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's promoted himself. He's, he's Dr. Pastor McCravey. Oh, God.
4: My name is Debbie Greenhouse. I am a pediatrician here in Columbia. I am not be being, I'm not being paid by anyone to be here today. I've been in practice for 30 years here in Columbia. I have cared for a number of children that are transgender over the years. I've seen the incredibly difficult path that these patients and their parents have had to navigate And that is why I'm testifying strongly against Bill H. 4624, a bill which would make that path even more tortuous and virtually impossible to navigate. Transgender youth have a high rate of anxiety, depression, self-harm, and suicidality compared to their peers. I've seen this in my practice. In fact, I cannot recall a single transgender patient who has not struggled with these problems. There is no evidence whatsoever that these high rates of mental illness are due in any way to their transgender identity. Instead, it is thought that the high rates are multifactorial, including limited availability of mental health services, limited access to experienced healthcare providers, discrimination and social rejection. This bill will make all of those issues much worse. There have been concerns raised about medications used for young transgender children without parental involvement and consent. This does not happen. I will repeat, this does not happen. The initial treatment for young transgender children is support, counseling, and referral for mental health care for the child and the parents. The parents are fully involved in the process and, in my experience, have been supportive of their children and actively seeking the best care for them. This bill will completely shut down this process, including the referral for counseling and the counseling itself. This will deprive parents of the right to make these decisions in their child's best interest. Medications are not involved in the care of transgender youth until the age of puberty. At that time, with the full involvement of the parents and ongoing counseling, puberty blockers may be initiated to buy more time for the adolescent and allow them to grow and make more mature decisions about their identity. If these medications are stopped, puberty simply resumes. Are there potential side effects from these medications? Yes, there are. Thank you as for there your are testimony. there are any medication whatsoever.
1: All right, first thing we have to address is what?
2: That phone. That was
1: not well, a phone. the
4: beep. It was, what
2: is it? That? that was the two minutes were up.
1: That's the fire alarm they pull when you're two minutes to test mm-hmm. the fire up. Here is a woman who has a doctorate. Many, many decades of practice and experience I given only two minutes. And as soon as you get two minutes, the fire alarm goes off. At least that's what it sounds like. That's
0: what it sounds like.
1: Did they tell you that up front, or did that just scare people?
2: No, it, it I mean, went off what, on me, too. <laughs> what an
1: intimidating sound. And I
2: just kept going, that is
0: so tacky. Who is doing that? Who's doing it, it was, it was mean, pretty Somebody
1: tacky. had to choose that sound. It wasn't yeah. a bell. It yeah. wasn't a ding. Yeah. It wasn't a, the sound of a dove. Yeah. It was literally a fire alarm sound that is designed to intimidate and punish if you go past one second of your allotted two minutes. I, I found that very insulting. I do too,
2: and and just just to so note we we all thought we were going to have three minutes, so a lot of us prepared for three minutes. So when he said two minutes, we had to cut a good about amount of stuff. So
1: how frustrating is that? It's you, a little you're given frustrating. one directive and then they you just arbitrarily change I'm, it.
0: I'm going to say I, that I probably sensed in your speech yeah. because I felt like. You were about to unload a whole lot. And all of a sudden, there was a crafted curve to it. So, and the thing I wrote down was you hit the medical treatment, safe and evidence-based. And Mm -hmm. you talked about how you were protecting other children. And now here you are fighting to protect your own child. And I thought, oh, my God, she laid the foundation. This is about to be good. And then there was that closing. So, okay, I can tell you. She
1: made it clear on one point, which actually goes against something John McCravey posted on Facebook as part of his re-election campaign he had gone through the list of all the terrible things leftists do including the transgender ideology and and forcing surgeries on those as young as four all falsehoods but then he concludes with no wonder there's such high rates of mental illness among our youth he made it cause and effect and this doctor right here dr greenhouse very clearly stated that high rates of mental illness have no association with transgenderism in any way.
0: The other thing this doctor that I'm glad uh, brought out was the fact that we we are so quick to propose certain things are needed. We need, like in this bill, it talks about having therapy. But here's the other thing on the back end: Have we ensured that our society is set up with enough credentialed individuals? that are open-minded enough to give the resources that we are mandating them to have. Now, we just said no public funds can go to support any of this. But yet in the bill, we say you have to have therapy before anything can happen. And so that was one thing that I thought that was important. We are yet again saying in South Carolina, this is how we're going to fix it. But you're not even prepared to fix anything. Yeah. So what, what recommendations can you give? Where do you send a child when you have a shortage of therapists or counselors or treatment specialists that are ready and on standby? What What recommendations can you give when you've tied the hands of clinicians behind their back to say, if you look like you're going to help, then there are penalties coming before you. Right. You're not setting anyone up to be successful. But I'm going I'm to add this here, too, because we continue to talk about this bill and my question to the individuals that represent us in the Senate and in the House this bill referenced being younger than 21 before any of things can take place right the transition procedures but I want you to know that it's important for residents of this great state to understand that someone under the age of 21 can become a parent Mm -hmm. someone under the age of 21 can be called to war you can sign up and say you're going to fight for your country you can be called to go and vote for your elected officials. You can become an organ donor. You can. When you go in and you get your license, you, you've talked to your parents and they say, hey, this is a good thing. Guess what you can do? You can be an organ donor. So if you are no longer here, you still have a chance to save lives. You can also be married. Yes, you can. And you can become a gun owner. You can do all of that under the age of 21 what they often say is
1: 18 even they say you can't get tattoos unless you're 18 they throw that up but you're all the
6: things all you of said that
0: you can do before even 18 but with the help of parents and support in the background you're telling me that all of that assistance and support you're still not able to seek things that will better you i find that to be a problem all of those things that i just mentioned were things that would impact others The journey that a lot of our kids take is an independent individual journey that is crafted for them, that is not a cookie-cutter approach, and it's time for us trying to pass laws that will make it a cookie-cutter approach.
1: I have another pediatrician I'd like us to listen to, and she tackles a bunch of myths as well as the claim about FDA's support for this medication. This is Dr. Elizabeth Mack.
6: Mr. Chairman and members of the subcommittee, my name is Elizabeth Mack, I'm a pediatric critical care physician and president of the South Carolina chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. I'm here in opposition to age 4624. And there's a lot of misconception about gender-affirming care, so I really wanted to do a little myth-busting here today. Um, Number one, there is no gender confirmation surgery occurring here in minors in South Carolina. None. So it's not of concern and you can take it off your list of things uh, to be worried about with our youth. There are lots of things um, of concern Uh, in general with our youth, that's not one. Number two, gender affirming care, as Dr. Greenhouse said, occurs with the intense involvement of parents. Minors are not making these decisions solo. And a quote from the AAP guidelines, even when in states where minors may access care without parental consent for mental health services, contraception, STIs, parental or guardian consent is required for hormonal care of patients who identify as trans. Another concern to take off the list. Number three, half of trans kids consider suicide and a third attempt suicide because of bullying such as this and forced outing. And I see these children in the ICU. I've pronounced several dead. And we are seeing more suicidal ideation and attempts since the budget proviso passed in July 2022, disallowing care in the low country. And we don't have those data as many parents request no mention in the record, understandably. Number four, mental health assessment and counseling is a prerequisite of the care in children with gender dysphoria, both in practice and according to the guidelines, and this would be made illegal in this bill. To be clear, there's no such thing as a child coming in after watching a video on social media saying, I think I'm trans, and then we start them on meds. That just doesn't happen and can be taken off the list of concerns. Number five, gender-affirming care is not fringe care. It's evidence-based standard of care because it is suicide prevention care with strict guidelines intimately involving parents and caregivers. And if it becomes illegal, our trainees will need to learn this care elsewhere, and we will be at risk of malpractice.
2: Representative
4: Petalino. Hey, how are you? Hi. Um, is it true that the FDA has not approved puberty blockers to actually be used for gender dysphoria?
6: So most medications, let me just start with saying most medications used in children are not do not have a, a label uh, for their use. Like if I only used uh, medicines that were on label in the ICU, I wouldn't. Be able, I, I wouldn't really have any options um, to use. So that that's not really like a comparator in pediatric medicine. And the reason for that is because there aren't a lot of studies in children, because we always start with adults first. Um, but to get to, to the point, they're certainly safe. And we use them actually for... <clears throat> Uh, for a variety of indications, so endometriosis, actually in adults, various cancers, but in children, PCOS, precocious puberty is actually probably the most common indication. Uh, though we don't use them at this age in gender affirming care, we can use these these medicines very young um, in kids without uh, concerns. And yeah, so it's it's a very commonly used medication, or that that group of medication is very
4: commonly used. But it is not correct. What's that? It is not FDA approved for that use, though, right?
6: Um, I believe that it actually is. Somebody could correct me on that.
4: My pediatrician, I'll, I can check. Okay. Um, follow up question on yeah. that um, Is there a warning label on puberty blockers from the FDA that actually states that it increases suicidal thoughts?
6: No. There, the black box warning was related to pseudotumor cerebral, which I'm happy to explain what that is um, because we see it with a lot of different medications. But no, the black box warning was related to pseudotumor. Okay, thank you. And that was from April of 2022.
1: So that representative, Fawn Palladino, listened to an answer to her question about FDA, ignored everything the doctor explained to her, And then she just comes back. But it's not been approved by the FDA,
0: right? The the doctor in as lamest terms possible said, don't even consider FDA in this conversation. I
1: I don't (laughs) understand how you get to be on a committee, how you seek out and question expert testimony and then completely ignore everything they have to tell you. You cannot know this subject. You are being educated on this subject right there. And to sit there and dismiss it is insulting to everyone who stands behind that microphone
2: happens and, all the time and one one of the things that she said at the end was that she worked with uh, in the i guess the second day was that she worked with ems and and dabbled in a little nursing here and there so she felt like she was qualified to know better who, who said it this Palladino. Pedalino, Sorry, Fawn Pedalino. I mean, do y'all remember those commercials? She took a
1: tour of an EMS station, and now she's an expert in medical care. It used to
0: be a set of commercials that would go around, and they were like, are you you a a doctor? No, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's what's happening here. No one has experience. No one is listening to the credentialed experts in field. This is the only time where being an expert in your field doesn't matter, when laws are made. And that is that is crazy to me and, and the
2: thing the thing that really uh, i guess in some ways upsets me is that i feel like it's an invasion of of our privacy to say this is what our journey is like to try to dispel myths like, I'm having to give out things that are private, mm-hmm. you know, that are things that we shouldn't have to. I'm sure you
1: had a million other things you rather would have been doing that day.
2: Exactly. And and I think that that's the thing is that, you know, there was one couple there, and they talked very extensively about their child's um, health, uh, you know, their treatment. And I just kept thinking, and I mean, the, just the questions. And it was just like, what age did this start? And what age? And how are they doing? And, da, da, da. and I'm going, you know… <laughs> That is a decision that we make, and we all make it. When we feel, we know the risk, and we know, and instead of trusting the doctors and trusting the parents and trusting that our lived experience and the experts, it's like we have to give so much of ourselves through mm-hmm. this process, and then to not be validated for that. Mm-hmm. The
1: final thing I want to observe from Doctor Max' testimony was again that foghorn that goes off. I watched you guys. We've got these headsets on. Both of you jumped when that that alarm went off. That is how disturbing that sound is, and I'm sure you, the listener, probably are feeling the same thing and just have to wonder what they were thinking when they put that alarm in. This next testifier uh, went deep into genetics and dropped a lot of interesting facts about how people are born this way, how this is not a choice, but this is just who they are. Rebecca Bishop?
7: Uh, genetic studies have identified 21 rare variants in 19 separate genes that play essential roles in pathways involved in the development of masculine or feminine um, brain development. The studies of twins have shown significant heritability estimates for genetic contributions to the development of gender dysphoria. A separate study has used MRI scans to investigate differences in trans female brains um, relative to their cisgender counterparts. The trans female brains were found to be significantly different from their cisgender male male brains with a p-value of .0016. This highly significant p-value suggests a neuroanatomical phenotype correlated to the gender dysphoria. Since gender dysphoria has a clear biological basis, then the treatment of gender dysphoria needs to remain in the hands of medical professionals. In a well-governed, free country, access to medical treatment should not be denied if the appropriate consent can be given. By denying these children care and understanding, we are taking away their basic rights, their basic human rights as citizens in this free country, and placing them directly in harm's way. As someone who runs support groups, I have seen the harm that the denial of care and acceptance can cause. I have t- had teens come to me with self harm wounds and had to intervene, and it's because of their parents denying them access and care. <sighs> If we further isolate these teens by banning affirmative care across the states, we will be placing at least 3,700 self-identified transgender teens in the exact same high-emotion positions that lead to these self-harm events. And I say all of this from personal experience as well. I was raised, I, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina in a very unaccepting family, and I began attempting suicide around the age of 12 in middle school. This battle escalated throughout my teens and early 20s, and it was having access to HRT, and having affirmative care that finally put me in a position in life where I could be comfortable and happy with myself. Thank you for your time. Oh, my gosh. I
0: hate that freaking buzzer.
2: I need to say something about Rebecca because, first of all, she was there by 8.30 in the morning. That hearing did not start until 2.30 in the afternoon. Mm. So she was first one there, hands down, Also, she lent me her pen every single time I asked. I needed a pen. So thank you, Rebecca, for lending me a pen every single time because I was like, can I borrow a pen, please? Thank you.
1: (laughs) I want to just let you know that there is a box of tissues here. The testimonies get more and more emotional, and I was (laughs) red-eyed by the end of it. So I just want to give you that heads up. This next testimony comes from parents of a transgender teen.
2: Yes, um, I think what I would like to end with is just a couple days ago, we were explaining to my daughter that we were coming here about this bill. And she asked us point blank why you all don't believe her or why people don't believe her. She knows who she is. And it's really heartbreaking when I can't give her an answer. So I ask you as parents even, think of your child as they're sitting there asking for help and you can't give it to them. So I'm really hoping that you will really think hard about this on the lives that this really does impact. Because as parents, we don't choose this journey for her. Oh my goodness, this would be, this is a painful journey. And so it's the last thing we want. So please, I'm, I'm begging you, do not pass this bill.
1: And, and yeah, it took me a long time to get over that macho-ness and say, all right, this is the right path. I mean, it took a lot of her convincing me it was the right path and us talking and reading and researching and finding out that it actually is only 1% of people detransition, not uh, 60 or 70% that was spoken earlier. Um, and we'd rather our daughter be alive now. Right?
0: That mm-hmm. did it. That's yeah. it right there. That's it. Why are we writing bills that, that aren't considering making sure that our children are being able to stay alive to reach an age that's mentioned in the bill? If you mention 21, do you know how many children need support and help to get to 21 but you've written a bill that says, at 21, you can do this, or at 26, you can do this. What about protecting them until they get to that age? Suicide is not something to play with. And it's hard. And I'm glad that this mom said, like, we don't choose that life for our children. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and this is what I need for people to understand. Nobody wakes up and says, I think I'm going to be trans today.
2: Yeah, That's I mean, a hard life. When Emma came out, I I my stomach dropped, you know.
0: But not because
1: not for you.
2: No. It was because I I knew this was hard. I knew this would be hard.
0: Yeah. Right. Ooh, that's heavy. Mm-hmm.
1: I am hearing testimony from people and parents and and the statistics about suicide and self-harm for those who don't have supporting parents or or supporting schools or a network. And I wonder why those on the other side who are pushing this bill cannot name a single individual they would save should this bill pass. There is nobody asking for it. There is nobody they trot out that says, oh, if I only had this bill, I would have been saved here in South Carolina. What John McCravey does have is one activist who travels the country, who tells her story at paid engagements about her regret and and the feelings that she was forced into it now she doesn't bring her parents in the mix they won't talk they don't produce any medical doctors it's just her story and i don't want to dismiss her story because i don't know the facts behind it but that one activist that travels the country is what he hangs his hat on and yet the 50 testimonies at this hearing get completely dismissed to me that is selective engagement on a topic and it is irresponsible legislative behavior mm. and that's a wrap for this episode of black white and blue in the south but that's not the end of this topic nor the end of our conversation with sally Willette. there's still quite a few more testimonials we reviewed and the emotions get deep. So stay tuned for next week's episode where we continue on this subject and hear Sally's testimony itself. We hope you enjoyed what you heard. Please take a quick minute and leave us a rating using your podcast app and a review of what you heard today. Did anything covered in this episode resonate with you? If you are a blue dot in a red sea, keep the faith, keep up the hard work, Change only happens over many years of work and dedication. So join us in that fight and get involved any way you can.
0: The end.
7: The preceding podcast is a product of big media and copyright 2024, all rights
0: reserved.